The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 309 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is what a family history of schizophrenia tells us. Schizophrenia is a serious mental illness that interferes with brain functions such as thinking clearly, making decisions and relating to others. In some people, not all, but in some people with schizophrenia, it's associated with psychosis, which involves loss of contact with reality, seeing things that aren't there and hearing things that others don't hear. Um, Psychosis may involve self-harm, suicide or violence towards others and it may involve behavior that risks death by shooting by police. Schizophrenia lacks an absolute cure but can recover and does recover with appropriate care. Schizophrenia's recorded and uncomfortable history goes back 4,000 years. It includes treatments ranging from harmless but useless to cruel and brutal. The history includes community-wide fear of persons with mental illness and includes unhelpful attitudes to family caregiving because the family was often regarded as part of the problem. All of which is why our topic, what a family history of schizophrenia tells us, is so important. Now, to discuss it, our guests are Dr. Chris Somerville and Dr. Janine Austin. Um, Now, first of all, I'd like to introduce them by um, summarizing their bios for you. Um, Chris is the CEO of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada and the executive director of the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society. He serves on numerous boards and committees, including the Mood Disorders Society of Canada, the National Network on Mental Health, the Canadian Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health, and several ethics committees. With an earned doctorate, he is certified with the International Association of Psychosocial Rehabilitation Services as a psychosocial rehabilitation practitioner and as an assist suicide intervention trainer with Living Works. He lives in Steinbach, Manitoba, and as a family member and as a recipient of psychiatric services, he sees mental illness as an issue not only in health, but also in social justice. Now, Janine is an associate professor at the University of British Columbia um, in Vancouver, Canada. She's a research scientist at the BC Mental Health and Addictions Institute and a graduate advisor for the UBC 
genetic counseling program. She holds the Canada Research Chair in Translational Psychiatric Genomics. She completed her PhD in Neuropsychiatric Genetics at the University of Wales College of Medicine in Cardiff, UK, and her clinical training as a genetic counsellor at UBC, University of British Columbia. She's board certified, a board certified genetic counsellor, and she founded the world's first specialist psychiatric genetic counselling service of its kind in Vancouver in 2012. And she's been working exclusively with individuals with psychiatric disorders and their families for more than 10 years. So welcome to the show, Chris and Janine. Thanks very much, Gordon. Thank you very much. Glad to be with you. Great. Chris, let's start with you. Please tell us more about your life and work. Well, I certainly do enjoy working in the mental health field and uh, have been affected by mental illness as having a father who lived with bipolar disorder as well as a brother with bipolar disorder, another brother with schizophrenia, and two of those three did suicide. So uh, mental illness has really affected my family as well as myself. And it's been a joy to be the executive director of the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society for the last 20 years. I consider myself an advocate, mainly advocating for access to mental health services as well as recovery-oriented mental health services. Now, let's um, ask Janine the same question. Tell us more about your life and your work. Janine? Thanks, Gordon. Um, Well, yeah, first, just to reiterate my thanks, it's a huge pleasure to be talking with you both. Um, but yeah, I suppose in terms of my life, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm a, I'm a British origin. Um, I was born in London and lived in South Wales for most of my youth before moving to Canada in 2001. Um, and so, yeah, since then, Vancouver has been home and I really enjoy the excellent West Coast food and um, outdoor activities. Um, but yeah, like, um, like Chris was talking about, mental illness has touched my own family too and I've seen its effects. Um, I have my own experiences with depression and anxiety and so my work is deeply meaningful to me. So, you know, I I really, I suppose I feel hugely motivated um, to use the education I feel I've had the privilege of receiving to to try and make a difference in some way for people who live with mental illness and for their family members. Um, So, yeah, um, I find it deeply rewarding, I suppose, to interact with and and learn from people who have lived experiences of mental illness and their family members. And and, uh, so you mentioned that I'm the the graduate advisor for the genetic counseling training program here. And that's something that gives me um, huge pleasure. I really enjoy um, participating in training the next generation of healthcare providers. Um, I guess my aspiration is to try to train them in such a way as they'll provide compassionate care for people with mental illness and their families. Right. Now, Chris, please highlight for us what I call the essential statistics for schizophrenia. In other words, how much, how often, and questions like that. Chris, please summarize those. Well, schizophrenia is rather common around the world, regardless of culture, ethnicity, uh, etc. It is a form, as you said in the introduction, a form of psychosis. 3% of the population will experience some form of psychosis, so uh, doctors have to rule out other uh, illnesses that might manifest themselves as psychosis. But in generally, uh, the general population, that is, uh, there's, there's the, there is the um, prevalence of schizophrenia of 1% of the population. If you have a brother or sister with schizophrenia, then your chances of developing schizophrenia would be around 8%. 
if you have one parent who manifests schizophrenia, then the likelihood of your developing schizophrenia would be approximately around 12%. However, if both parents have schizophrenia, then your uh, chances of developing schizophrenia personally would be around 40%. And finally, a uh, question that's often asked about identical twins, if, uh, if one twin, identical twin, has uh, schizophrenia, then what's the chances of the other uh, twin developing schizophrenia? And that's close to 50%. Wow. Janine, please highlight for us the essential knowledge about the genetics of schizophrenia. Janine? Mm. Um, yeah, so, well, actually, if you don't mind, I'd actually just like to respond a little to um, some of the figures that Chris was talking about um, first. Um, so, yeah, when we're talking about what the chances are for people who have um, different relatives with schizophrenia, um, Chris is absolutely correct about every single one of those numbers he provided. But I guess my, the really important point to, to get home is that those numbers are only um, a guide, a starting point. Um, what the chances for any specific, in any given individual might be quite wildly different from those numbers. Those are average risks, um, you know, um, within, if you were to take all um, siblings of people with schizophrenia, all as one group, that would be what the chance was. But within that group, the chances might actually be wildly different from those numbers. So I would, and we'll get back to this, I'm sure, with your later questions, Gordon, but um, I, I would, my suggestion would be if that any of the listeners today are interested or concerned about what their chances for developing schizophrenia might be, um, that they actually seek out and talk with a genetic counsellor. Um, but I guess I'm not really answering your original question right now, so I'll, I'll get back to the, to the point. So you were asking about the essential knowledge of um, genetics of schizophrenia, right? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yes, okay. absolutely. Yep. Okay. So, so as far as that goes, our, well, our knowledge of the genetics of schizophrenia has come a really long way in the last few years, which is, which is really exciting. And fundamentally, what we really know at this point is that genetics plays an important role in the development of schizophrenia, but there's far more that, to what causes the illness than just genetics. And we know that because um, of as what Chris mentioned, um, when one of a pair of identical twins has schizophrenia, the other twin does not have a 100% chance to develop that same condition. And because identical twins share all of their genes, if schizophrenia was entirely genetic, the identical twin of someone with schizophrenia would always have the same condition. But that is not what we see. So that tells us straight away that there must be something else that's contributing to other than genetics. And we think of that something else as being um, experiences or our environment. Um, so although we've known for a really long time that genetics must play a role in schizophrenia, we've not had a good idea of what the specific genes are that might be involved until quite recently. Um, and now we have quite a good idea of what some of them are, um, but we probably still don't know what they all are yet. Um, and I think for me, the big thing to remember about genetics as it relates to schizophrenia is that because it seems that there is an important role for our experiences or the environment in onset of the illness, there isn't a genetic test that will ever be able to tell us with absolute certainty who will and who will not develop the condition. Um, and at the moment, there aren't any genetic tests that we can use to diagnose schizophrenia or to confirm a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Um, so actually, at the moment, in most cases, if someone's interested, and as I was saying earlier, you know, if 
um, someone's interested in what the chances are for developing um, schizophrenia, um, the best way to, to learn about what those chances might be is to sit down with someone like me, a genetic counsellor, and, and look at family history. And that's actually much more accurate than, than any genetic testing that we can offer at the moment. So there's, just to summarise, because we're, going, we're coming to the end of this this particular segment, just to summarize, there's still uncertainty. That is, there's a lot of room for factors that we don't yet fully understand. In other words, it's not, a, it's not as they like to say these days, settled science. And I think that's a very important message that you're both making. Now, as I say, it is time for us to take the break. This is where I always say we have to pay the rent. So we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guests are Dr. Chris Somerville and Dr. Janine Austin. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Chris Somerville and Dr. Janine Austin. Our topic is, What a Family History of Schizophrenia Tells Us. Now, both of you, let's talk about what a family history of schizophrenia tells us or does not tell us in the sense of the family. So, first question for you, Chris, please. What does a family history of schizophrenia tell or not tell a family about the likelihood that schizophrenia will develop in some member of the current generation of the family or in a future generation of the family? Chris? 
It's a very important question, and we get many calls at the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society, people who are contemplating marrying or having children, and they will ask, you know, what are the chances uh, of schizophrenia developing in our family? As Janine said, we don't know exactly what causes schizophrenia, but no doubt there's a genetic component, but not entirely genetic, but influenced by environmental factors. And doctors have to rule out uh, other illnesses that have manifestations of psychosis, such as Parkinson's, Huntington's disease, Alzheimer's, uh, brain tumor, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, even epilepsy, including bipolar disorder 1, and certain medications that can create hallucinations and delusions. But it, it, it is a, a fundamentally important question, and it's very important, uh, you know, to have people like Janine who do genetic counseling, and I would encourage uh, family members to seek out a genetic counselor uh, to see what a family history of schizophrenia would tell or not tell them. Right. Janine, what does a family history of schizophrenia tell or not tell a family about the type of schizophrenia that could develop and tell them or not tell them about its effects. Janine? Okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just to pick up on what Chris was saying, you know, family members of people with schizophrenia do, do have a higher chance to develop schizophrenia themselves than um, people who have no family members with schizophrenia. But it's, it's really important to remember that there is almost always a greater chance not to develop schizophrenia, even when somebody has several f affected family members. Because, our gene, as, as Chris said, we keep saying the same thing, but I think it's a really important point to drive home. Um, our genes are only part of what constitutes, um, what contributes, sorry, to the development of schizophrenia. Um, but yeah, so in, in broad terms, family history information is really important, um, particularly if family members are interested in better understanding why their loved one develops schizophrenia and in, if they're interested in things like what the chances might be um, for themselves or children, for example, to develop the same condition. Um, so, yeah, I would say if people are interested in something like that, then, as Chris said, you know, seeing a genetic counsellor would be a great idea. Um, and, and just because it's so important, um, I'd, I'd like, if it's okay, Gordon, just to talk briefly about what genetic counselling actually is. Okay, could I just in, go to one question? I, yeah. will give you, I promise to give you the chance to okay. talk about genetic counselling because this is very, very important. I asked about the type of schizophrenia, yeah. meaning that the those that are the schizophrenia that's associated yeah. with psychosis is horrifying, whereas whatever it is, the 97% of people with the condition that don't get it, um, on theoretically anyway, the outlook is much better. So how much of a guide is the family history to the type of schizophrenia that could develop? So just to be clear, um, you know, so, so psychosis and schizophrenia is actually one of the cardinal features of the condition. Um, so, so, um, so in terms of what the family history tells us about the specific type of schizophrenia that other family might develop, it, the simple answer to the question is, is not really very much. Um, so as you and other lis you know, listeners to the show might know, you know, schizophrenia can be quite variable. Even within families, um, the specific type of schizophrenia um, can be quite variable. But um, so if a family member's experienced psychosis, then, then, then you know, that, that's something that might increase risk for psychosis amongst other family members. Yeah. But, right. But psychosis is, the car, you know, a very common feature in schizophrenia. 
Okay. Now, I promise to, I haven't forgotten that I'm going to come back to you, Janine, <laughs> and ask you to talk about counselling. I'll hold you to it. But I, want, but I want to go to Chris now. What does a family history of schizophrenia tell or not tell a family about signals, the signals that they should be on the lookout for in a family member? That's the most important question, Gordon, and there are warning signs that may indicate someone is heading towards an episode of schizophrenia, which we call the prodromal uh, period, and some of those warning signs would be, for example, social isolation and withdrawal, the person may be irrational, um, uh, bizarre, or manifesting odd statements or belief, as well as uh, perhaps increased paranoia or questioning others' motivations. The person might become more emotionless, uh, hostile, or suspicious. And also there may be lack of motivation, speaking in a strange manner, unlike themselves, inappropriate laughter, uh, insomnia, or oversleeping, and even deterioration in their personal appearance or hygiene. So it's not just looking for one or more of these symptoms. It's looking at a cluster of symptoms that would cause or should cause concern for the family and to seek out help as soon as possible. Right. Now, Janine, what does a family history of schizophrenia tell or not tell a family about the response that's needed if the family history appears to be repeating itself? And I want you to factor in now what um, a genetics counsellor counselling is and what a genetics counsellor does. So please answer the question, the two-part question. Janine. Okay, thank you. Um, so, so in terms of um, what, what a family history can tell a family about the response that's needed, um, well, fundamentally and of course we know, one of the things that we know about schizophrenia is that early intervention is really important. So the earlier that we can get someone the right help, the better the long-term prognosis. So I actually like to think of it in terms of um, families where somebody has some schizophrenia actually have an advantage in some ways if you think about it because while people with a family history of schizophrenia may have a higher chance to develop the same condition, um, they're more likely to know what schizophrenia looks like and this will allow the family to get appropriate and timely help if it were to become necessary. Um, so we know that one of the biggest barriers to getting help early is confusion amongst family members about what's happening. You know, is this normal adolescent behavior or is this emerging psychosis? So when families have no experience of schizophrenia, they may actually be at a bit of a disadvantage in terms of getting help in a timely fashion. So I'd actually sort of frame the family experience as perhaps having a bit of an upside here, which is if you know what schizophrenia looks like, you can get timely help. Um, and then you invited me to talk about genetic counseling, so I'd love to be able to do that. Um, and it's important to talk about, I think, because um, we know that many people have not heard of genetic counselling and we know that the first associations that people make when they hear the term for the first time are about genetic testing or about conversations where people are being advised whether or not to have children. Okay. And in fact, so there's a couple of things here. Genetic counselling and genetic testing are not the same thing. I would say if you wanted to have some kind of genetic testing, that genetic counselling might be important to help you understand the possible results, how you might react to them, that kind of thing. Um, but genetic counselling doesn't always have to involve genetic testing. Also, to get to the point about um, whether or not a genetic counsellor would advise you to have children. Um, so genetic counsellors are actually a, a group of specially trained healthcare professionals um, who will not advise people whether or not to have children. Um, genetic counsellors are people who have 
completed graduate level training and are board certified and value individual autonomy very highly. We see our jobs as being about um, providing people with information about what we know from research about the causes of illnesses like schizophrenia and about providing support for people with lived experience in their families. If people want to talk with us about what the chances are for their children to develop a mental illness, we'll help them understand what the chances are by, based on analyzing family history. And then we'll help people to figure out what that chance means to them, how that affects what they want to do. We'll never tell you not to have children. We'll support you in making an informed decision of your own, I suppose. Yeah. Right. Now, I want to go back to Chris. You mentioned um, the signals and the difficulty, um, both of you have mentioned this, of figuring out whether a signal belongs to schizophrenia or is just kind of normal adolescent behavior or something along those lines. Please, would you say more about the way in which a, a family should respond and particularly say through your associations to get answers to the questions and get genetic counseling if the signals look as though they're significant. Chris? I think it's uh, important, you know, in this day and age with so much social prejudice and stigma around uh, mental illnesses that we're able to talk about it as normal as possible because uh, one in five people alive today uh, have some form of mental illness or mental health problem, and by the time we all die, about one in three of us will have had some form of mental illness. And so getting information is relatively easy, I think, today. Uh, obviously, a lot of people get their information from the Internet, but there are the schizophrenia societies uh, across Canada. There's the Canadian Mental Health Association. Uh, the largest uh, mental health uh, hospital uh, is in Toronto, which is the Center for Addictions and Mental Health. And, and certainly, you know, the provinces um, have good resources. And uh, obviously, you don't know what those resources are until you have a need. Uh, for example, uh, you know, you're, you're not really checking out the car lots and dealerships until you actually need a car, and it can become kind of frustrating. Well, similarly, um, when you have a need to access mental health services, it can be rather difficult navigating the mental health system to know what's what. Right. Now, we're very, very close to the end of this um, extremely interesting and important segment. And I just want to feed back to you both um, this, that getting advice early uh, is important. Um, learning what to do is important. But at the same time, you're stressing that is, it shouldn't be viewed as a, the onset of catastrophe. Mm -hmm. um, help is there, genetic counseling, there's medical help with medications, there are people who are able to give advice and the support for families throughout the various services in Canada and North America generally. But the fact of the matter is, as I'm understanding it from you both, this is nevertheless a serious illness and needs to be taken seriously because if it is, the outlook isn't necessarily or at all a catastrophe. Now, I wish I'd got in this segment an opportunity to offer you to come back and say whether you agree with me or not, but that opportunity will be uh, available to you in the next segment in the questions that I'm going to be asking you. So we'll take the break now. 
This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, my guests are Dr. Chris Somerville and Dr. Janine Austin. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite. I'm Dr. Chris Somerville and Dr. Janine Austin. Our topic is what a family history of schizophrenia tells us. So now, both of you, let's discuss what a family history of schizophrenia tells us or does not tell the family, us, about care needed for family members. So, Janine, starting with you now, um, what does a family history of schizophrenia tell or not tell the family about care in the form of genetic counselling? Now, you've already talked about that, but I want to crystallise this somewhat. That is to say, at what point, I'm going to ask you directly, should a family history of schizophrenia lead a family to turn to genetic counsellors and what other things should they be doing? Mm -hmm. Janine? Thank you, yeah. So I'd say from my experience that genetic counselling can be really important and helpful for almost all families where there's a member who has schizophrenia. Okay. So I'd say um, if you have a family member with schizophrenia and you're worried about things like whether you could have done something to prevent your loved one from developing illness or whether it's somehow your fault because you were, you know, you're worrying if you're a bad parent or something or passed on bad genes, um, these are worries that are absolutely perfect examples of things to bring forward to a genetic counsellor because they can help. We know that often families feel really guilty about these kinds of worries and sometimes afraid of seeing a genetic counsellor, I guess, because, you know, perhaps they don't want to 
their worst fears to be confirmed or something by an expert. So I guess I just want to reassure any listeners um, who will be worrying about that sort of thing to please not worry. Genetic counsellors are motivated by wanting to help, empower and support. Um, yeah, so also I suppose if you're wondering whether there's anything that you can do to help your family member towards improved mental wellness, that's something a genetic counsellor can talk with you about. And particularly if you're worried about your own chances for developing schizophrenia because you have a family member who's affected, come see a genetic counsellor. Often the chances are a lot lower than people think. And, um, and we can also talk with you about what you might be able to do to protect your own mental health. Um, so I guess if, if people are interested in finding a genetic counsellor, um, I would suggest a visit to um, the website of the National Society of Genetic Counsellors. Um, so it is a US-based organization, but they do list genetic counsellors all over the place. Um, and so you can find them at www.nsgc.org. And they have a find a counsellor feature there that can help you find a counsellor in your area. Great. Now, Chris, what does a family history of schizophrenia tell or not tell a family about care in the form of early medical diagnosis? Chris? Well, Gordon, the World Health Organization has stated that schizophrenia is potentially one of the most devastating illnesses that a person can have. And yet at the same time, as you have said, uh, it is very treatable and recovery, that is living beyond the limitations of the mental illness and having a quality of life is possible, but it certainly takes the support of a caring community. As Janine said earlier, early identification and early intervention and treatment leads to better outcomes, and that's why we have across Canada uh, first episode clinics which deal with early psychosis and assist families in a better understanding. Uh, I would say in, in terms of uh, best defense of uh, working against uh, mental health problems in a family would be practicing uh, healthy stress management, uh, obviously um, engaging in things that uh, result in flourishing or positive uh, mental health. But once there is a diagnosis of mental health problems such as schizophrenia, then it's important that psychosocial or family education takes place to learn as much as possible about what the illness is and what it's not and some of the questions that we're dealing with today. And also looking at the family system's coping mechanism and their system of caring and how that's done because that will affect uh, the recovery process. Now, just a quick supplementary, Chris. Um, how often, if that's the right way of asking this question, does early medical diagnosis result in medications being prescribed and having to be taken? Chris? Doctors are rather hesitant to prescribe medications to children, especially children in uh, early adolescence, and, uh, and as well as even given a label because the, the label carries so much uh, stigma. But uh, w once a thorough diagnosis has been made, I, I think uh, that um, most doctors would tend to use some form of medication, but, but carefully because the medications do have significant side effects. Effects. But medication in and of itself is not sufficient, uh, in my personal and professional opinion. I mean, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, looking at the family uh, system, uh, family education, uh, stress management, uh, even engaging in mindfulness. Uh, there's, there's many things uh, that people will tell us that help them in their recovery process. 
I just want to pick up on what you're saying, Chris, because it's so important and I just want to reinforce it, actually. Um, we actually have really good research evidence showing that the best way, the most effective way to reduce the risk of relapse when somebody has been diagnosed with schizophrenia is to use a combined approach um, of both um, medication and some of those other psychosocial types of supports that Chris was mentioning. Mm -hmm. So things like mindfulness, CBT, um, and then things that we can, I think, easily dismiss but can be incredibly powerful and we have good research evidence for. So things like sleep, nutrition, exercise, and Chris, you mentioned healthy stress management. Those things are absolutely critical. So, you know, in the same way as we understand that schizophrenia arises as a result of biological and experiential factors, the, treat, the best, most effective treatments reflect that. There's a biological component, medication, but there's also this other stuff, the more experiential stuff that might be the CBT or the mindfulness and the sleep, nutrition, exercise, um, stress management stuff. Yeah. Now, now, Janine, I'm just going to take you on to the, to the next question because okay. it flows very well from what you've just been saying. What does the family history tell or not tell a family about care in the form of responding appropriately mm. to early signals? Yeah. What, in other words, how's that to be dealt with? Janine? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, I just want to pick up on, on things that both Chris and I have said again earlier. I just think this message is so important um, because I think a lot of the time when families have a member that has schizophrenia, um, we tend to... You know, schizophrenia has profoundly negative impact, obviously, for the affected individual a lot of the time, and also for family members. Um, so, you know, we can get quite we can get quite wrapped up in that. And so, I think it's important. It's, I'm trying really hard to shine a light on the fact that there is an upside to this. Yes, while there may be an increased chance for other family members to develop the same condition, the positive here is that the family already knows what schizophrenia looks like and that's going to give them the tools or the ability to be able to see when it's emerging far more effectively than families where who don't have any previous experience with schizophrenia. And that early identification can lead to timely and early implementation of, um, you know, appropriate treatment and management and that's going to help our long-term prognosis. So, um, yeah, so just to pick up on that stuff again, the earlier we can get um, identification figured out, the earlier we can uh, get engaged with appropriate treatment and that's going to do the best thing for, for long-term prognosis. Right. Now, Chris, back to you. Again, it's the same frame of a question. What does a family history of schizophrenia tell or not tell a family about care in the form of responding to social challenges that need to be anticipated? And I mean, the one that leaps immediately to mind that mind is the social challenge of stigmatization. Chris? What well, does this stigma, yes, tell you're, us? you're absolutely right. Uh, stigma is the number one reason why people don't go and get help. And uh, I prefer to use the term social prejudice. And there's uh, what's called stigma by association or courtesy. So parents and family experience it as well as psychiatrists and people who work in the mental health field. Uh, Self-stigma is also important, and that's where the person um, sees themselves as mentally ill and takes on uh, the stigma and internalizes it, and there's a loss of identity or identity development. And certainly the result of social prejudice is discrimination, which can manifest itself in terms of lack of appropriate housing of choice, lack of social supports, uh, social exclusion, uh, lack of uh, that means uh, not enjoying full citizenship privileges, 
and certainly there can be difficulty in accessing mental health services and community supports and services to help in the re- recovery process. Now, let me just press you on the particular question of accessing services and the like. Um, how far do the services provide combat against um, discrimination and how far do those services help people who've got this diagnosis but are living lives, are in the living lives of recovery, how far do those services actually help the individuals live the lives that they want to live and other people want them to live? Chris? Well, they're most critical in what I've been referring to as the recovery process. Uh, it's That's not medication alone, as Janine has uh, stated, but people uh, will need a, perhaps a, a community mental health worker, a social worker, a peer support worker. Uh, they may have to deal with unresolved trauma issues in their lives. Up to 70% of people with enduring mental illnesses uh, have um, untreated or unaddressed trauma issues in their life, uh, abuse issues. Um, that's all very important. So. We had deinstitutionalization during the 70s in North America, and unfortunately the money didn't flow over into the community so that we have the adequate community supports and services in place today. So people will often ask me, well, I don't see my son or daughter or loved one recovering like you're talking about, Chris, and that can be due to the complexity of the illness, but also lack of recovery-oriented mental health services and the lack of appropriate community uh, supports in place to, to help the person. Basically, we're talking about chronic illness management, and if we apply the same principles as we do to people living with Parkinson's and and other illnesses like that, if we applied those same principles of chronic illness management to people with schizophrenia, the outcomes uh, of recovery would be higher than they are. But as it currently stands, um, there are seven longitudinal studies uh, recognized by the World Health Organization. And some of those studies indicate that the recovery rates are from 30 as up to high, as high as uh, 65%. Right. Now, just a very, very quick question, Janine. Janine, does genetic counseling, is it available and suitable for people who are living with schizophrenia and mm-hmm. are facing social problems? challenges of a kind Chris been talking about. I'm so, I'm so glad you asked because this is so important. Yes, absolutely. It's a very quick answer. Um, so the clinic that we've established here in 2012 that's um, a specialist psychiatric genetic counseling service is available both to people who have their own lived experience of mental illness and to family members. So yes, absolutely. It's appropriate to people who have been diagnosed themselves. On that point, we're going to take the break. This is what I call the tyranny of time. This is Dr. Gordon Asley, and my guests are Dr. Chris Somerville and Dr. Janine Austin. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Chris Somerville and Dr. Janine Austin. Our topic is what a family history of schizophrenia tells us. Now, let's talk about the things you as individuals would like to do and what you as individuals would like to see done to bring increased help and hope for families with a family history of schizophrenia. So starting with you, Chris, what more would you like to do? Chris? number of media stories with high-profile cases, and I think uh, one of my uh, jobs and what I enjoy doing is to try to decrease the stigma, help people to realize uh, that uh, 97% of people with mental illnesses do not come in conflict with the law. So it's a myth that people with mental illnesses like schizophrenia are automatically violent. Uh, I would like to spread the word that uh, recovery is, is possible with adequate supports uh, in, in place. And that, as we've mentioned earlier in the program, that early, early intervention is just critical in terms of awareness, identification, intervention, and knowing the various treatment options, and that the day would come when it's just as normal to talk about uh, brain pain and brain problems as any other part of the body. Right. Janine, what more would you like to do? Yeah, so I, I share Chris's utopian ver- vision for the future. That would be wonderful. That's also my dream. I share it. Um, so with that in mind, I'd, I'd really like to be able to continue with the work I'm doing. Um, I'm approaching stigma also from, uh, like Chris's, but from a different perspective, I suppose. Um, I'm doing some research aimed at um, measuring and trying to improve, um, decrease, I suppose, um, stigma amongst both people who have mental illness themselves and amongst family members, using what we know about the things that can contribute to the development of mental illness. Um, So I'd really like to continue with that. 
Um, and then in 2012, we established the first psychiatric genetic counseling clinic um, for people who have psychiatric disorders themselves and their families here in Vancouver. And I'm really keen to help others establish similar clinics elsewhere in the world because we know that it's super helpful for the people that we see. Um, so I'm already working with people in the US, the UK, um, Germany, actually, and well, hang on, Romania um, to help them set up things, um, similar, similar clinics in those countries. And ultimately, I'd like to see it as something that's available to families where, where a member has schizophrenia all over the world. Um, so I'd like to continue to contribute to that. Right. Now, back to you, Chris. What more would you like to see done by social systems? Well, Gordon, as a whole, I think we need to view this as a social justice issue and not just a health issue. And that is, in light of the fact that we know how to treat mental illnesses today, we know more than ever before. We know how to prevent relapse and rehospitalization. We know more about recovery. And being one of the wealthiest countries in the world and not to provide the appropriate uh, services and, and social services is in fact a social injustice to people who live with mental illnesses. And I think we have to bring greater attention to the determinants of health such as housing and income and education because all of these factors are important in terms of making us a better society and a, a society uh, that's mentally well. Right. Janine, what more would you like to see done by healthcare systems? I laugh because, well, obviously I'd, I'd like healthcare systems to embrace providing specialist genetic counseling services more widely to people with schizophrenia in their families. Um, but I guess, you know, more broadly than that, um, I'd really like to see more widespread inclusion of families in the treatment teams for people with schizophrenia and, um, and more in the way of active efforts to decrease mental illness stigma amongst healthcare providers uh, because we know this is a significant problem. In fact, it's being tackled here in, in Canada by um, the Mental Health Commission of Canada. They're doing a great job with it, but I think, um, you know, we, we need more of that um, and elsewhere in the world too, yeah. Right. Now, let's, you've both mentioned the question of the families themselves. I call them the family caregivers. Mm -hmm. We mean the same thing. Now, starting with you, Chris, what more would you like to see done to help family caregivers, given that so much mental health care is actually delivered to people living at home and healthcare systems want more and more of that? Chris, what more is done to help family caregivers? Chris? Service providers uh, need to and I think must include family members in the planning, implementation, and evaluation of mental health services, but also when a loved one is receiving uh, services from a service provider to include the family as a whole because recovery is not just individual, it's family recovery as well. And as Janine just uh, mentioned, the Mental Health Commission of Canada in itself has produced what's called the Family Caregiver Guidelines, and they are guidelines to help service providers to know how to meaningfully involve family members in treatment planning, as well as in systems and services development. Right. Janine, what more would you like to see done to help families, family caregivers, um, as defined by Chris? Yeah, Janine? yeah. So I think this is actually really critical, um, you know, because I think in the, when we're talking about illnesses like schizophrenia, which really do have profound have a profound impact on the individual who's been diagnosed, we often tend, I think, as a, you know, healthcare service delivery 
um, system to lose sight of the effect, effects that it has on family members. And as Chris points out, you know, and you, you yourself pointed out as well, Gordon, it's the family members that are that are really supporting and taking care of these uh, of the people who have received the diagnoses. So we really need to be doing more, I think, as a healthcare system to support the family members um, in, in their efforts in this direction um, and to acknowledge how important that is. Um, so as I was saying earlier, I know from my clinical experience of speaking particularly with parents, parents are often struggling with profound issues around guilt and shame and, and stigma around, you know, did I do something that caused this illness? Could I have prevented it in some way? And we really need to be attending to, to those kinds of issues for people and helping them to resolve those, 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 those issues so that they, can, they feel more free to be able to take care of their, their, their affected family member, but also just to be okay for themselves. And I do think that that's really where genetic counseling can help. Right. Now, I'm... We're coming to the end of this segment, which unfortunately is the end of this particularly important episode. But I'm going to lobby you both in two ways. First of all, um, if either or both of you, ideally both of you, would like to do another episode addressed to family caregivers and how they should take care of themselves and be cared for, I'd be more than happy to do it. And the second thing, and this is where I'm lobbying you, so beware, um, I think there's an important role for family caregiver guidelines. That is to say, um, documentation which family caregivers that can use when the diagnosis has been delivered regarding a family member, when the treatment has been prescribed, when the genetic counseling has been concluded, and when, so to speak, all the professionals have gone home. Then, to help family caregivers with their day-to-day tasks of caring Mm -hmm. to understand what's being presented to them in the way that the condition evolves and also to be alerted to things, once again, that they should be on the lookout for. Now, that's me lobbying and you don't have time (laughs) to respond to me, but I will be getting in touch with you in another way to see if we can get some movement on this one. Now, we are unfortunately coming to the end of this, as I say, uh, marvellous, wonderful, fabulous episode. So I want to say thank you, first of all, to Chris and Janine for sharing with us all of your insights and your, your advice, your experience, and your caring, your caring, your, your, your commitment to caring, which is fundamental to your work. So for everybody's sake, all success to you. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be questions of ethics in collecting family genetic data. Please join us same time, same spot on the internet. Speak with you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 